Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Welcome to SLP Coffee Talk, the podcast designed exclusively for speech-language pathologists who work with older students, grades 4 through 12. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, your SLP behind Speech Time Fun, the Speech Retreat Conference, and the SLP Elevate Membership. And I'm thrilled to bring you conversations, strategies, and insights that will give you the jolt of inspiration that you need. Whether you're tuning in during your morning commute, on a break in between sessions, or even during a well-deserved relaxation time, I am here for you each and every week. Let's do this, SLPs. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I have one of our March Speech Retreat speakers here, Tara McAllister, talking all about biofeedback for working on the art sound. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Tell everyone who might not be familiar with you or what you're doing, just tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Tara McAllister. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Communicative Sciences and Disorders at NYU. And I actually, I originally did my training as a linguist, but then I found that I needed application of the things that I was learning. And that got me interested in speech pathology. And I, I did a master's degree in speech pathology and I earned my C's. And so I'm a clinician researcher right now at NYU. I've always been interested in how we can incorporate technology in clinical practice. And biofeedback has been the focus of my research for a number of years. And with showing a learner some sort of visual representation of what they're doing while they're speaking can help them change their speech patterns in a more efficient way. And I didn't necessarily set out to be focused on the R sound, but the R sound, it's actually really fascinating from a linguistic perspective, and it's also clinically a huge challenge. And so a lot of the work that I've done over the years has been focused on treatment-resistant R distortions. And I find that that's one of the cases where biofeedback can really help kids who are stuck and who aren't responding to conventional approaches. That's so amazing. And as a school-based SLP, the R is bane of my existence. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure many clinicians have come to you saying that that that's just such a challenge and students don't hear it, see it, understand that when they're producing it incorrectly. 
So can you explain a little more how this has been beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. So you really put your finger on it because with biofeedback, we have another sensory channel. And for some kids, they hear the difference between what they're saying and what the clinician is modeling for them, but others really don't get that distinction. And in that case, having the visual representation, in this case, I'm talking about a visual representation of the acoustic signal of speech. So if you think about speech science coursework that I know for for many listeners will have been way back in the day, you have the resonant frequencies, the vocal tract or the formants, and they show up, you can see them on a spectrogram, or we use a spectrum where the formants show up as peaks in a wave-like shape. And then we can tell the learner, here's where your peaks are when you're saying er, and here's where they should be for a really good er sound. And then we sort of set them loose and say, can you try all different things and try to get your peaks to match the model? And then we also do incorporate a lot of articulator placement cueing. So we let them explore, but then we also try to nudge them with a facilitative context or some placement strategies to help them find their way to a closer approximation of the R. That's so amazing. And then what sound did you think it was going to be more effective with? Because you said you kind of, it kind of fell into your lap, that R kind of became the one you were utilizing for. What did you predict that was going to happen? Well, I think I was initially inspired a lot by work in second language learning, where you can target different vowels in the vowel space. And I think that biofeedback can still be useful in that context, but it just doesn't loom as large clinically as the R. Truth be told, a lot of our inspiration did come from, when I say our, this is work of Lane Hitchcock at Montclair State University. And then as we moved into ultrasound biofeedback with Jonathan Preston at Syracuse University. But the work on acoustic biofeedback was inspired by work by Dennis Russello and Linda Schuster at West Virginia University. And they did case studies with using a spectrogram for biofeedback for kids who had just a really persistent R distortion. And they reported these amazing results. When they incorporated the technology, the kids really got it and generalized it. And so we wanted to follow up on that research, which was from the early 90s. And we have been working on it ever since. It's amazing. Why is the R such a challenge for our client, but also for us SLPs, like for us to work on it? What is your impression on this? I think it's all about the articulation. Um, the tongue shape for R is more complex than the tongue shape for most speech sounds. So when you think about an ooh or an e or a ka sound, there's sort of one major shape that the tongue is forming. There's one major narrowing of the vocal tract. But when we're talking about R, there's a narrowing or constriction in the anterior vocal tract and another one that's back in the pharyngeal space. The tongue root is drawing closer to the pharyngeal wall to narrow the pharyngeal space. And that two bump shape is more complex. And so as children are mastering speech motor control, it takes more time to get that tongue shape. And then clinically, it's really complicated by the fact that there are different tongue shapes for R. You know, people have heard of retroflex and bunched usually, and there's really a whole continuum between retroflex and bunched, and everyone's tongue shape for R is different. And that can be really challenging for the clinician to decide what's the best cue for a given client. And we really have poor intuition into what our tongues are doing when we talk. And I've seen lots of people, we have an ultrasound in the lab, so we can look at people's tongue shapes. And I've seen lots of students say, I'm definitely retroflex or I'm definitely bunched. And then we look at their tongue and they weren't doing what they thought they were doing. And these are people who have phonetic training. When you're talking about a kid who's, you know, 
trying to approximate an R sound, they're not going to be accurate reporters of what is happening inside the oral cavity. And so that is a huge challenge to know what's going on in there and what is going to be the most effective cue. So, so true. That's so amazing. Like, we're getting it incorrect. Like, clearly, they don't know what's going going on in there. (laughs) I can totally imagine, like, sure, I'm going to just say what they want to say so that I can just get out of here or get my sticker or my prize or whatever. Exactly. (laughs) And I love the idea of using biofeedback and visual and in another cueing way. How can school-based SLPs, clinicians, how do we get access to being able to do something like this? Yeah. And I mean, when we're talking about ultrasound biofeedback, I love ultrasound. It lets us see inside the mysterious oral cavity, but it's going to be a while before ultrasound is going to be in the hands of the average clinician because the technology has to get a lot cheaper. And it's been getting cheaper over time, but it's not going to be there for a while. What we can do right now is put visual acoustic biofeedback in the hands of the majority of clinicians. And so for me, for years the cost barrier was a real source of frustration when working on technology-enhanced speech treatment because we would be excited. We ran a study. We found promising results. We go to present it at ASHA. And then the first question is, how do I get this? And for the first years that we were doing it, we were using the K-Pentax computerized speech lab, which we actually still use in our research, and it works great. But it costs, you know, the the sort of least amount you can pay to get the software is $2,000. And that's just not going to be in a real world budget to work on only the R sound. And it's also not super user friendly. You know, it's a tool for medical settings and it's not geared toward the average busy clinician. And so we had had a dream for a long time of making something that was going to be more broadly available and more user friendly. I don't personally have the skills to develop that, but I've been really fortunate in being surrounded, especially here at NYU, being surrounded by people who have a lot of talent in software development and design and user experience. And so I've had a team I've been working with since, I guess, 2014. So going on 10 years to develop the Start app. The Start app was funded by the NIH. And with that funding, we were able to release the app as a free download in the App Store in 2020. It's available now. If you search for Bits Lab Start, that's the best way to find it. It's only available for iPad. It doesn't run on an iPhone. But recently, we added one more option at the ASHA convention 2023. We actually premiered the Bits Lab Start website. So I was getting feedback from, well, first of all, we know not everybody has an iPad, so we'd really like to make this software available to people who are not operating on an iPad. And secondly, feedback from clinicians doing telepractice that they would really like to use the Start app in telepractice. SLPs are ingenious. There were people who found ways. It doesn't run super well on mirroring software because it's pretty resource intensive. It's doing real-time speech analysis. It gets the processor running. And so you can't really easily use a mirroring or a screen sharing on top of the Start app. But I had people who were using document cameras. There were lots of ad hoc solutions to get Start running on telepractice. But the BitsLab Start website is intended to make that smoother and easier and more effective. I'm assuming you can probably even do that on a phone or any other device if you don't have an iPad. You can just do a web the web-based Version. So the first release is still limited. We're just building out the feature set. So the, the Bits on Start uh, website right now will run on a browser on Mac or a PC. 
it is not mobile compatible right now, but we're hoping we can cross that next barrier in the near future. That's so cool. Can you share some success stories that you've heard from clinicians that have been using this resource with their students? I really appreciate when folks reach out to us with their feedback. And actually, just since releasing the Bits Lab Start website, I did get an email from a clinician working in telepractice who said, you know, I've had a girl who's been stuck on R and, and really nothing was working for her. And I wanted to try Start, but I couldn't because of the telepractice setting. And so when Bits Lab Start came out, we tried it. And for that particular client, you know, that visual really produce the click to get the R that had been so elusive. I do want to be clear because we do a lot of research on biofeedback. Biofeedback does not automatically produce a magic solution right away. There are some kids who say, oh, now I get it, and they do it. But that's the, the great minority of kids. And, and so I think it's important to say, don't, don't get frustrated if it doesn't work immediately. We do think it's a helpful tool, but it's something that's going to help over the course of practice. And, you know, you, you have to get, you have to get that dosage in if you're going to change the motor plan. And so there's, there's nothing magic about biofeedback. It's not going to get rid of the need for sort of extended practice, but we do think it facilitates learning. And for some kids, it can produce an aha moment of just, I didn't know what I needed to do, but now I get it. I love that you mentioned before, even just it's a tool, which we use in conjunction with your articulatory placements and other things that you were doing already, basically. 100%. I love it. That is so, so cool. Like, how can people find more information about this? Like, if they're wanting to try it out or see if it's something that is beneficial, is is there bonus training on how to use it and things like that? We're still fleshing out the resources, but the best place to go, I would actually start on BitSlab Start, and then there is an SLP Info tab. And that will link to my website where I've just aggregated a number of resources. One of the most helpful ones is a tutorial paper that was just published with Elaine Hitchcock as the first author. And that's a clinical tutorial on visual acoustic biofeedback. It reviews the previous literature and then digs into real clinical tips focused on the R sound, although it can be used for other contexts as well. And then the other thing that you'll find on my website is the Start app has a tutorial because the concepts here are not trivial. We're talking about resonant frequencies of the vocal tract. We don't call them that for the learner, but everyone, the SLP, the child, everyone needs to be oriented to what are we looking at? What should it look like? And how can we interpret and use this display? So the tutorial explains that. And on both the website and the iOS app, you'll find that interactive tutorial. But I find that some SLPs prefer to have something that's just a little bit more full service than that. And so on my website, you'll find a video narrated version of the tutorial that you could take a look at, and it'll really give you the first orientation to biofeedback that I think can be built on. Love that. Do you have any favorite like cues or terms that you like to utilize? Like you mentioned, like, using resonance and all that stuff with students and children are not going to, you know, resonate with them. Mm -hmm. Some favorite terms and ways of introducing it. I mean, the way we talk about the wave, we talk about the peaks or the bumps in the wave and just moving their peaks over to match the target slider. But I think it goes back to what you said earlier about pairing the display with 
placement cues, with articulator placement cues. And for that, I like to draw on work from my collaborators at Syracuse with articulation. They have some gifts of uh, animated gifts of tongue shapes for R. And so we integrate both of those visuals, even though one of them is articulatory and one of them is acoustic, but show the child, this is what your tongue should be doing for the R. Now that you have that in your head, let's look at this visual display and let's try to use those strategies and see if the strategies are getting your wave, your peaks closer to the target. So really integrating the articulatory and the visual acoustic piece. I love that. And I wish I even knew about those GIFs sooner too. It's all on <laughs> Speech Production Lab Syracuse, I think on their, um, you can find them through their Instagram feed. Awesome. And I'm going to definitely put the link to that in the show notes as well. For everyone listening, we can clearly get access to BitLab and iOS and all that stuff and the website and then also as well to that resource as well. Because I know anyone listening who stuck on that R sound <laughs> is excited to try anything new to finally feel successful. What advice would you give to an SLB who's listening, who's saying, you know, I've been working with this student for years and it's mm-hmm. like never seems to click. What advice would you give to them? I really think our advice is to try to take a different perspective. That's what we're doing with biofeedback. Like I said, biofeedback is not magic, but when you're trying to change a speech motor pattern, you're trying to change something that's been ingrained over years and years of repetitive practice. And that's not trivial. And so we just try to use biofeedback to give a different window of insight into what's happening during speech. It's something that's out of your ordinary sensory experience of producing speech. And that can help the learner just achieve more conscious control over it and also monitor their output a little more agentively. They're more in charge of what's happening as opposed to there's just this stored motor pen that comes out without really there any reflection. Try something different is the piece of advice that inspires us as we're working on biofeedback. But then you have to follow up with the repetitive practice because the try something different can maybe help the learner approximate the new motor target. But then to make that habitual, they have to just produce it over and over and over. And that's when you get the games involved, you motivate them, um, but you've got to get those trials in if they're going to walk away from the clinic with that new motor pattern. And that's something I, over the years, have learned as well, is looking at the R sound as a motor pattern and more than just like an articulation disorder sort of thing. Can you go a little bit more into that of like the difference? And We're trying to get these learners to achieve a complex articulatory target. And what they've been using is sort of, you can think of it as a motor simplification. If they're using, they're saying, uh, instead of er, it's because the uh has just one one bump in the tongue instead of two for er. And so they have adopted an articulatory simplification of the complex er sound, but then they've used it over and over and over. Every time they say a word with R, they use that. And so that motor pattern has become really automatized. And it's challenging to take that motor pattern and crack it open and change it. That's part of what we're aiming to do with biofeedback, just Let's see in more detail what's going on when you say R. Can that help you to change the way you're producing it? So interesting. So, so cool. I can't wait to try this out with students because I know that I have a few people in my want me to work with their 
children that have our difficulties. I'm like, I need to get this app and utilize it with them <laughs> over a play date or something. So thank you so, so much for bringing this awareness of what biofeedback is and how we can use it in treatment. And then also providing a cost-effective option for clinicians versus us needing a $2,000 tool in our therapy room, which, you know, clearly we don't have the budgets for or space or training in. So thank you so, so much, Tara. What other last bit of advice or information would you like to share with everyone listening? I actually just want to say thank you for, you know, creating this channel for disseminating information to lots of clinicians because it's something that we struggle with. We do the research, we're passionate about the research, but what we do is publish articles and that doesn't get to a broad audience. That doesn't get these methods in the hands of clinicians the way that we want them to. And so I think that you know, podcasts and Instagram channels and all of that, it's a really powerful tool for translating research into practice. And so I really appreciate having the chance, you know, as a researcher to talk about this work in this setting and know that it's going to reach a lot more sets of ears than if I just published it or if I, if I posted it on my blog or something like that. So thank you. My pleasure. And I'm always looking for new ways to inspire, motivate, SLPs everywhere and giving them every Monday morning that jolt of inspiration that they need. So thank you so, so much. And if you want to learn more from Tara, make sure you join us March 9th at the Speech Retreat World. She'll be talking more about working on that R sound, more depth, more detail. And if that's something that is a challenge for you, head to speechretreat.com and grab your ticket today. So thank you, Tara. I always end my episodes with a joke because jokes are just fun and build rapport. Why was the computer chilly? Mm. It left a window open. Oh, boy. But I tried to find a technology. Oh. <laughs> computers, biofeedback. I tried to find some sort of correlation to what we were talking about. So, and the computer has the R sound. It sure does. <laughs> we could also use it while working on the R sound and smooth therapy. So. So thank you so, so much, Tara. Everyone go check out the app, check out her site, go check around on Instagram, and also make sure you join us March 9th at the Speech Retreat. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.